It's easier to go out and, and buy up a bunch of stuff. It's easier to, to accumulate stuff, uh, material stuff, than it is knowledge. I mean, to learn what you would do in a, in, a, in a certain situation takes experience and it takes time. Knowledge is not easy to come by. All right, what is up, everybody? Jim to my right, and across from us, virtually, Mr. Clay Hayes, once again, repeat guest on the podcast. Clay, the last podcast we did was right after you had won the Alone oh, yeah, that's right. TV series, the whole kit and caboodle, the whole, sh- the whole shebang. Uh, if you've ever watched that show, people out there in the audience... Uh, you probably enjoyed it. If you haven't, you should watch it, and you should watch the season that Clay was on. It's very exciting. Uh, and you should listen to the podcast that we did because it yeah. was uh, a great behind-the-scenes look. In fact, we got a, we had a comment, Jim. They said that that was the best interview with uh, you know the winner of Alone that they'd ever heard. They were like a super fan of the show, and they wow. said that. It was that very show, The show's still going, right? Because I saw something that new that came out where it's a similar concept to Alone. It even looks like it's in a similar location, but they're on teens now. It's not yeah. actually Alone. It almost seemed like they like took old Survivor and then like combined right. it with it, Yeah. Clay, are we going to see you on that, or you can't talk about that yet? I have no idea what you're talking about. The only they did a they did a season of Alone that that worked. They worked on teams, but that was a uh, season. Th- four maybe and uh that was maybe vancouver island okay but i haven't seen anything um from those that same producer um that now they did a spinoff called frozen which was basically alone except for they dropped them off when they dropped us off i think it was september 18th uh, they didn't drop these guys off until like late October, so they're they're like Woof. have no time to prepare before winter gets there. That's pretty um, yeah, and that's that'd be that's rough. <laughs> Man, that you know it's rough when even Clay says that'd be rough. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know what this new thing is, but like I said, there's like teams, and then somebody's like, I think I saw the team. They're like starting their own little like civilization or so. I don't know. It's it, like you said, there's some survivor mixed in. It's a little, yeah, it's a little bizarre. Doesn't I, seem as cool because they're not alone. I, I like that aspect. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. like uh, like seriously. If you haven't seen it, you should you should check that season out because it is it is good. And some of the stuff Clay that you did in the show or that you do in your general life with um. You know, primitive skills, primitive survival skills plays into the conversation that we're going to have today. We've been talking about uh, prepping here around the office a little bit. We did a little podcast the other day uh, where we just really spun our wheels and went in circles. Yeah, we more just, it was a conversation we just have around the office. We just (laughs) happen to be wearing the headsets. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um. And then, uh, yeah, that kind of sparked. We're like, well, we should talk to Clay because if there's anybody that we know that's good at surviving, yep, it's you, Clay. So, what uh, is that something? Is prepping something that you think about for like end of times? You know, everything's really just gone end down of, the tube. End of end of times, natural disaster. Who knows what? Remember what we were talking about? Like, the natural disaster is kind of an, an odd one because it's sort of like... It is, but you still have to sur- be you, able to survive You have to it. be able to survive, you know, but, the, but then there's still, like, 
a society that could be restored potentially after that. Depending, like we said, depending on the scale. And not to make light of a natural disaster, but we're talking, yeah, anyway. Is it this something- is this is part of the conversation we had, Clay. Sorry, you're you're getting. Yeah. Bro- <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get accused of fighting again, Jim. We, that that and also we'll get accused of like saying the natural disasters aren't that big of a deal or something, which isn't true. I I think about it some, but I don't spend I don't spend a lot of my time thinking about like, you know, if stuff really goes sideways. Um, but I think like you look at we've had some events that have happened over the last decade or so that give you a pretty good idea of the way things would go, you know, if the grid went down and really that's, you know, the little bit of thinking that I have done about it, that's all it take. If the internet stopped, if the power went, whatever you give people three days and it's going to get wild. People are going to turn on one another. I mean, it's look at what happened after hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. I mean, a couple of days without services and people, I mean, it gets, um, gets pretty primal. Yeah. And you know, when, when the, when some of the services slowed down and stopped when COVID really hit, I mean, people were buying up everything. There was no food on the, on the grocery store shelves. And that's, um, you know, my wife Liz is more of a, what I, what I think of as a prepper, she's more into that than I am really, you know, after, after going to the grocery store and seeing bare shelves, which, you know, in my lifetime, certainly have, I've never experienced anything like that. You'd have to go back to the great depression, you know, our, our grandfathers to be able to see anything even remotely like that. Um, but after that, she started buying up dried goods like rice, beans. Um, and then she went and got a freeze dryer. And then, of course, she does on her YouTube channel. She does all of the canning and preserving and stuff. But, she, but she's been doing that for, you know, 20 years, hmm. growing a garden, um, canning things. I mean, we can a bunch of deer meat and canned fish and vegetables and all of that stuff. So. We've got a pretty good pantry um, to where if things really went sideways, you know, we could make it pretty comfortably for over a year with just what we've got stored up. If somebody didn't come and take it from us. That, that's part of the, that's part of the thing we were talking about, you know, is if you're the person who's sort of holing up or what did you say? Burrow in, I think, you know, is yeah. burrow in versus bug out. I like the alliteration. <laughs> but if you're the person who, who burrows in, you got all this stuff, then you know you do potentially become a big target for for people who aren't as prepared or weren't as prepared, and now they got to go out and they got to they got to you know mooch, well, force, like, mooch like, forcefully it, off of others. Well, like Clay said, you know, I mean, it doesn't take long for people to get pretty primal, you know, and yeah, three days that people start getting pretty pretty hyped up and start doing things that that normally wouldn't do can you imagine three months or then a full year in it's that could get that could get pretty weird pretty quick yeah yeah what um you mentioned uh can and clay and that's actually something that i'm gonna get to a bunch of other questions here but since we're kind of on the topic that's something that i've been i've never done before i'm like oh i got a freezer full of meat this is fantastic but like you said i've been thinking like well what if the grid 
did go down or you know heck i've had a freezer incident in the past and you lose everything so like um what uh yeah what are the advantages of of canning like and and is it we should probably do a podcast on canning but uh we should like as far as the process you know i know liz has her channel where people can kind of check it out but like is that a skill that you think people should have absolutely i mean like we we canned this year I think we did a whole deer and a but we probably canned 50 pounds of elk meat. Um, so we've got, I don't know, a couple, we, we probably got a hundred quarts of canned meat and that's a load of food. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the thing with canned meat is that like you can, that stuff will sit on the shelf for 10 years. And, and I mean, you know, you look at the USDA recommendation and guidelines and all that stuff, and they, they I don't know, they, they tell you a bunch of stuff that's really like super, super, super conservative. But hell, people have been canning meat for, I don't know, way longer than I've been alive without any kind of guidance from USDA at all. And they, you know, they've been fine. And so we'll can stuff and keep it for longer than what they would recommend. Hell, I've got, we've got green beans that we can in 2010. We're still eating. Nice. Um, so that stuff lasts forever. And then you can take like what we do is we can all of the really grisly stuff, like, like a lot of the trimmings and things, because when you put in a, you put that stuff in a jar, raw pack it into a jar you put a lid on it, you put it in a pressure canner for 90 minutes at whatever the, the pressure is, 12 or 15 pounds of pressure. And all of that, all of that, um, the tendon and the gristle and all that stuff just kind of melts like it would if you were to braise that thing. Like if you ever, you ever done braised shanks or something like that, mm -hmm. you know how that stuff just kind of breaks down and turns into a gravy and it's fantastic. Same thing happens in a, in a pressure canner when you do that. And then you can take one of those cans of meat, take it out, and you can make whatever, shredded tacos. You can throw it in the stew, and it's just as tender. You take the toughest cuts on a deer and pressure can, and it just comes out and it falls apart. It's, it's awesome. Like I, my, my oldest boy will just grab a can, uh, like a jar of canned pork and just eat it right out of the jar. No kidding, huh? Nice. It, yeah, okay, it's official. I'm going to get into canning, Jim. You need to do it. Didn't you get a dehydrator? Recently, got, I've been doing that. How's yeah. that been? You've been using that? It works really, really well, actually. Yeah, yeah. dehydrated like some chilies, some spaghettis. Um, there you go. Dehydrate stuff, can stuff. Look yeah. at you. You're already a prepper. You didn't even know it. Yeah. Well, and speaking of you know prepping and not even knowing it, Clay, we're talking about you know that's just kind of in some ways. There's a couple different ways to look at prepping like like we've talked about you know some people are like oh man i'm gonna get all these supplies and and you know i'm gonna have all these uh, all these things but they want to have as close to as many amenities that they do now right when when they're in the apocalypse so they're they're prepping a lot of physical items that they rely on right versus a guy like clay which i think you're getting at who is prepping rec recreational recreationally prepping because that's just how you live your life prepping your mind and body prepping your mind and body exactly uh 
like if something like if something like went down, I don't I'm not sure Clay would notice all that much. Like you'd just be like, "Oh, well, I guess I'll just keep doing what I've been doing and uh things ought to be okay." I mean, you look at like, you know, I'll bring going going back to the alone thing. I mean, that's like a documentation proof of like basically having no resources and, right. you know, scratching out scratching out a living. Right. If somebody um, held a gun to Clay's head and they were like, "All right, listen, buddy, you can either hightail it out of here, or I'm going to get you right here because I want to get all your canned meat right now. I feel like you'd probably be like, all right, <laughs> see ya. <laughs> Have fun with a canned meat. I'll just go find something else. <laughs> um, and I think that's, I don't think people think of prepping in terms of developing the skills that it takes to do that, I guess. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Clay? Well, I think you're, I think you're spot on because it's, and that, that, that's applicable to, to anything. I mean, it's easier to go out and, and buy up a bunch of stuff. It's easier to, to, to accumulate stuff, uh, material stuff than it is knowledge. I mean, to learn what you would do in a, in a, in a certain situation takes experience and it takes time. Knowledge is not easy to come by like real firsthand applicable knowledge. Um, and that's, I, I think that's a, that's a major hole or gap in if somebody's going to be a prepper. I mean, you got to have the, you can have all this, um, you know, you can, you can buy a, a thousand rolls of toilet paper or you can <laughs> learn that you can wipe your butt with some wet moss. <laughs> you don't have to have all that crap. The old wet moss method. And Works great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a hundred. I, I agree, hundred percent. You know, and and I mean, there really is, you know, no substitute for experience. I mean, we're fortunate these days with like resources like you, like you and your YouTube channel and Liz's YouTube channel. I mean, you can certain you can learn a lot and get a huge, I guess, you know, head start. But until until you do it. You know, I mean, so often when I try something new, I'll watch, you know, 100 YouTube videos on it. And then during the process, I'm like, oh, that's what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. Or you just yeah. encounter something that just wasn't even in the video that you had to figure out. But they're like, okay, yeah, I've got most of it. But now now you get you just get the whole picture. There's no way to get the whole picture until you just do it. That is very, very true. I'm sure you've seen that a million times on car stuff, Jim. Mm-hmm. So going back to the canning thing, I mean... You, you can watch the video and get a theoretical knowledge of, of how to do this. But until you actually get the stuff and go through the process and learn it yourself, um, never going to truly know it. And, you know, if, if the grid did go down, you're not, you, you don't have that resource to go back to. You have to have the knowledge right here. You have to know what to do because it's not, you can't pull up YouTube. I mean, we take that stuff for granted all the time. We can pull out our phone. Any question you ever could think of, you can answer it like that, but that's not going to be there, you know, if something happens. So you got, you got to go through these things um, and you have to, you got to learn. I mean, if you really want to be prepared, you gotta, you gotta go and do it. Yeah. Not just, not just think about what you would do. You know? I mean, I mean that's a that's a huge thing. It's almost like you have to develop your own personal internet 
in your you mind because you aren't going to be able to look it up. I was, I was thinking about, I was actually talking about this just yesterday, actually, <laughs> Jim, with like even just like, you know, my girls, I've got young girls and they're growing up with the internet. And in some ways it's a beautiful thing because any question you have, like you said, Clay, like, boom, you can get the answer. So like you can accumulate this knowledge, but then at the same time though, it's taking away like the, uh, the working through it trial and error on your own that's taking away potential trial and error or even or even like you know hypothesizing and you know um well i think it's thinking also thinking through the process and like exercising your mind in that way to figure it out you know on your own i guess yeah this is on topic and off topic but the problem i have a lot of times when i'm googling things to try and figure them out too is that is that you know google the google uh because it you know the it's important to put mm, that in there okay. uh, anyway but it prioritizes, you know, based on search, search engine optimization and all this stuff, it prioritizes like the prettiest looking blogs and articles or videos or the ones that have the most views or the ones that, you know, whatever it is that they, that they meet the criteria to get put at the top of the Google search chain. And oftentimes I've found that when I've been looking things up, usually the things that are at the top are actually not even right. It's just that oh, somebody sure. found a way to make it look the most convincing that it is right. And then when you actually do more digging, you're like, actually, that person had no idea what they're talking about. I mean, this happens all the time, which is, like I said, maybe now I'm really off topic, but you Google a recipe. I can tell you how many times I Googled recipes and you read into it a little bit and it's like the ones at the top. And you're like, I don't think this person has ever made food before. Like the, <laughs> the, the proportions in here, the ingredients don't make any sense. Like you're using like so, some of the seasonings that they use and the amounts of them, it's like that doesn't work. I, I've just I found and that actually quite I, often. I haven't I haven't encountered that. And then also just I with you know like tinkering type things too. I'm like I don't think this person actually knows about what they're talking about that they know they're anyway. But yeah, that's that's where actually learning things firsthand though to come way back full circle. I I feel like is so important and well and and for the context of this conversation, we're probably talking about. A world where there ain't no search engine. Yeah. But that's yeah. one of the, like, Clay, when you were in the show, because I think, like we talked about, the show alone, and when you won in that season, you know, going back and watching that, some of the stuff that you figured out doing, there's a lot we can talk about there. A, I think people glamorize survival and all that stuff, and it's really not that glamorous. Even even a guy like yourself who had a lot of tricks up your sleeve, like, I don't think anybody would mistake watching that show and think like oh clay is just thriving out there he could stay out there another 60 days no problem like it it was pretty grueling but then be like some of the stuff that you're doing out there i'm wondering to myself like does somebody teach him that or did you figure that out yourself like how did you figure that out you know it was just it was mind-boggling because i don't know i never grew up with anybody who was like oh yeah by the way here's how to here's how to build a mud hut you know at any like whenever you want or here's right. how to uh, until we finally went down to your place, nobody ever taught me how to build a self bow uh, and stuff like that. So it's it's kind of that was one of the things that I was wondering. I was like, where do you learn that? You learn that in the woods. Um, <laughs> I, you know, kind of when I when you were talking about how easy it is to answer those questions, uh, I was thinking like when when I'm in the woods with my kids and they'll ask what something is a plant or a bird or whatever. I mean, I could tell them, I could tell them that's a, you know, ponderosa pine or, or whatever. But if I tell them that, it, they immediately forget it. 
And it's the same way with Google, like the, all these questions that you can have and that you answer. It's like you get the answer. It fills whatever needs you have right at that moment. And then five minutes later, you forget it. Very true. Whereas on the other hand, if you put the work, if you're, if you're curious enough and you put the work in to find out the answer, if you've opened some books and look and research it, then you remember that stuff. And so like, you know, if my, I figure if my kids are, are curious enough about a question that they have for me, I'll help them to answer that question for themselves. And when they find that answer, then they'll retain that information. But if I just rattle off, you know, this species and this species, and you can use it for this and whatever, all of they, they don't retain any of that stuff. And so, you know, spending, spending time in the woods, uh, if you're, if you're interested in plants or edible plants or medicinal plants, take you some field guides, collect samples, bring them back to the house, look at them, figure out what the, what they are, and then start looking at what the uses are. Um, that's the way you actually learn things. Yeah. I thought you were going to say to just start plucking plants and eating them. <laughs> you could do that too. It could turn out to, could go south though. <laughs> that's plant roulette. That's, that's yeah. how I roll. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not down for that kind of trial and error, Jim. <laughs> if it looks waxy, don't eat it. If it's too beautiful don't, to exist in don't the even, mucky wilderness that it's in, don't eat it. That's my, those are my two rules. Okay. You might need to have a few more rules than that. Do you think? <laughs> yeah. But do get a field guide. Maybe do that. All right. Get um, several. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, and that's something to think about too, as far as field guides, depending on where you're at regionally. And I know, Clay, you, you, you know, adventure and do wilderness things in a wide array of environments. Um, but, you know, at, I, I guess at the minimum, knowing what's in your backyard would be, you know, a starting point. Yeah. It does help to know what's around. You know what I mean? And then you just, like, the idea of... Well, what's around and how you can use it. Like, I mean, for instance, I'll throw a for instance, and I don't have the answer. But yeah. we, we have a lot of oak trees here in Wisconsin, right? Yes. Oak trees make acorns. The deer like to eat them. Very, you know, critters like to eat them. I don't know what the heck to do with them. I don't either. I imagine I, I can watched eat a them. cartoon once where when they heat it up, they turn into acorn popcorn. But I don't think that's actually how that works. No, no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so that that's an opportunity for you to learn right there. It's like okay, well, I'll heat it up. And a- acorns <laughs> down, you know, if you're in the south, they're acorns. Right. Um, Sorry. Right. They were they were actually a major food source for Native Americans. Um, and we, when we lived in Mississippi, uh, Liz and I, we had, we were, we had a hardwood swamp or a low, you know, bottomlands there behind our place. And it was full of white oaks. And, you know, if you, if you look at um, the tannin content, if you've ever, have you ever tried an eight, like put an acorn in your mouth and, and bit it down? They're terribly bitter, especially red oaks, hmm. but that's tannins in the, in the, um, in the seed, but red oaks tend to have a higher tannin content than white oaks. And so if you focus on white oaks, you can shell them, you can put them in the, uh, um, shell them, soak them in water to, to leach some of the tannins out. And then you put them in the oven and roast them and then you can grind that stuff into flour and make like, you couldn't bake bread with it, but you could certainly mix it with 
regular wheat flour and make your wheat flour go farther. Hmm. Um, or you can make like a flat bread, like a, like a corn cake type type thing. But, you know, you have that resource available. You ought to go out and experiment with it. And that's like when I, when I first learned that I was going to go on a loan, um, I couldn't think about anything except for preparing for that. And so there was a lot of things that I didn't, that I'd never done before. Like I'd never made a net before, a gill net. And so I, I did all that stuff before I went out there because I didn't want to be out there. Like you got all, all sorts of things to worry about when you're out there. And I didn't want to have to be out there trying to figure out how to do these things. Yeah. It's the same scenario. You know, you don't want to find yourself in a situation where, you know, grid out, whatever. Oh, well now how do I do these things? We can go do them now when you've got some time to do them, you know, figure that stuff out so that you can actually hit the ground running, you know, versus running around in circles, trying to figure out how to do things. And figuring out how to do them primitively too, I feel like is very important because if you're going to figure out how to make a, a net, for example, well, I don't know if the net's a great example, but like figuring out how to do it and you're like, oh, okay, I think I can make something like this. I watched a YouTube video on it. All the supplies are on Amazon. I'll order them. They'll show up at my house in two days. Well, it's like, stop, stop, wait, right. <laughs> rewind. All those steps you just did, you won't be able to do in this in this hypothetical situation. You've got to figure out, well, maybe you do have to do some research now and you can take advantage of the nice luxury that you have of the internet and resources and Which maybe talking is, to people who aren't trying to kill you. But Like Clay but said, now's the time now's, to do that. Now's the time. But then you have to be able to do it with things that you you don't rely on ordering on Amazon and showing up in two days. Right. You know, so that's also part of the equation. You kind of got to get yourself out of your normal rhythm. Well, I think, you know, I mean, the, the acorn example is a prime one. Like it's something that's it's in somewhat abundance here. Yeah. Um, you know, knowing the difference between a, a white oak and a red oak, you know, which I think I could actually do that. But I've learned that based on the fact that deer tend to prefer white oaks you know so you know my mindset is generally like you know hunting related but that could be good knowledge to have too because maybe you're hunting and you're like oh there's a bunch of oak trees here well i'm going to focus on this one because i'm going to take my self bow over to this tree and you know try and shoot a deer but um going back to just even foraging the acorns it's like okay we'll know which ones are going to be better to eat and then um and then uh how, how you're gonna how you're going to utilize it. Like how are you going to process uh, what do they it call too? What's the, uh, yeah, you're not going to have the poison art. You know what I mean? To, well, yeah, to yeah. grind it up. So like then, as soon as you grab your stainless steel pan, you put it on your, on your natural gas stove top and you fill up with water from your sink, you know, or, or your Brita filter. And then you, you use your, your mallet thing to crush them up, you know, or your Cuisinart or something in it to crush them up. And then you throw them in the oven to heat them up. Like all this stuff that you're doing, you're like, you have to realize <laughs> You got to find other ways to do it potentially. God, yeah. I miss civilization. I know, right? But I mean, you know, I think you can learn a lot by using, um, you know, what you have available to you today. You can use water out of your sink, and you can use your oven to, to dry dry the you know acorns and stuff like that. Um, and you'll learn a lot. Yeah. By going through that process. And then, you know, if you want to take it to a completely primitive thing where like you're, you know, using stones to grind the, the acorns and um, drying them over a fire and things like that, you could certainly do that. But, you know, you, 
if you're the least bit imaginative, you can figure out substitutes, you know, later on for your oven, for instance. I mean, you can make an oven. Um, And that's another thing we did. I did a spinoff of a loan called the Skills Challenge, um, where they would give us various challenges and they would give us uh, very minimal tools. And one of the things that we had to do, or one of the things I had to do was build a, a build an oven and bake bread. And I think all they gave us was they gave us a, a little bitty tarp, like a, like a three by three canvas tarp and maybe like a, a machete type thing. Okay. You got to figure out how to make an oven with that. Right on. And so, um, and I did, I mean, I made an, I made an earth oven. So basically you, what I did was I, like I dug out a hole into a hillside. So I have this little like square hole in a hillside and I took sticks and I made a, an upside down basket, covered that basket with leaves. So now I have this big hollow underneath this basket. And then I mixed up some clay that I'd found on the riverbank and packed it all around this, this basket. So now I have this hole that's covered with like, you know, four inches of clay all the way around that dry. And then I built a hot fire on the inside of it and burned out the basket on the inside. Now I have this, like, it's basically like a, a green egg turned upside down. And once you get that hot, like you can build a fire in there, get it really hot, scrape out the coals that you can stick, stick bread or anything in there because it stays hot forever because that thermal mass in the in the earth and then in that clay but i mean people have been making ovens like that for thousands of years um Hmm. but again that's just like a that's a fun thing that you could go you could go do that with the kids and you could do it in a day or two and then you have that knowledge and you say okay well you know i know i can i could do this if i needed to that's awesome. I do think it's a good idea to do some of these things. It's almost like working out if you're going to work out for some sort of a, an athletic event, some sort of sport. You know, you, a lot of times you'll work out and you'll do isolation workouts. And you don't have to necessarily be like, I need to be primitive, so I'm just going to throw everything away and then just try and figure it out from scratch, you know. So maybe you do start out using your in-home oven, but then later on you're like, all right, I figured some of that stuff out. Now I'm going to have to figure out how to make the primitive oven and, you know, then right. do things. Well, like More Clay said, you, you use use what you have now to learn, and then if you're imaginative, yeah. you extrapolate that out. Like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to need some form of like consistent heat to yeah. dry this out. You know, like, okay, well, I'm going to need fire. So, like, I mean, there, there's a whole other thing starting a fire, right? Pretty pretty important skill to have. I mean, why don't we just jump into that? Let's jump into Clay maybe a little bit, and I would assume making fire is one of those things. Like the primitive survival skills that you think are like most important. Man, I I guess that depends on how basic you want to go. I mean, you gotta you gotta be able to find water, good good potable water, and if you can't, you gotta learn, you gotta know how to make it potable. Um, but then, like to even do that. Like you have to know how to make, like, if you're going to, if you need to boil water, like how do you, how are you going to boil water if you don't have a pot? Yeah, you know, you, you got to learn how to make a pot or um, even more primitive than that. I mean, you could do it with like an animal hide and, and hot rocks if you, if you had to do it that way. So, I mean, 
the the basics of survival are are you got to have water you got to have eventually you got to have something to eat yeah you know but that's like water and shelter really are the top are the, the the most pressing water being number one depending on the conditions of course you know if you're in a in, if you're in a blizzard and it's 30 below and 40 mile an hour winds you got to have shelter that's your number one priority and so whatever situation you're in, you got to prioritize what your needs are and figure out how to, how to meet those needs. Um, I'd say most Americans could probably live for a long time without eating anything. It's not going to be comfortable, but you could do it. I mean, me, myself, I, I'm probably, I don't know, 7% body fat and I could probably go a month without eating anything. Well, and I would be, I'd be emaciated and skinny but i would still i'd be alive you know if you got your water and shelter so yes getting yeah right right wow dang uh okay very important makes sense makes sense that's good to know like even but like like hearing something like that is like good knowledge to have like if you are in a a bad scenario Knowing like, hey, this isn't going to be comfortable. It's not going to feel good. I might not feel good. Uh, I'll definitely be taking, you know, some steps back is probably like, you know, as far as like my, you know, whatever. But you're not going to die. And that's like good good knowledge to have. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd probably eliminate some, a little bit of panic, you know. Or, yeah. or even just knowing like, hey, I actually have maybe more time than I may have thought to focus on getting the shelter done. Yeah, I'm going to get tired. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to feel good. Yeah, I am going to be hungry, but I can also know that I can work on this and I still have, you know, some time to get food afterwards. Yeah. What do you think, um, speaking of the food thing, well, there's a lot of stuff we talked about there that's interesting. Like, anyway, but speaking of the food thing, what do you think of hunting versus foraging for food? You know, I'm sure there's, I'm not going to say that you're only going to choose one and not do the other, but like... yeah. Pros well, and cons of going, you know, and spending your energy on doing mm-hmm. one versus the other. You know, I that when when you ask that question, my mind immediately goes to what what are the opportunities going to be? Because if I mean, you, you think about a you think about a a land with without law, and that's what it would turn into. Yeah, our wildlife resources would be decimated in very short order. And so, you know, if you have, if you're of the mind that, well, I'm, you know, I've got a lot of ammunition, I'm just going to go out and go hunting and I'm going to live on deer and elk. And yeah, you can do that for a little while, but man, there's a lot of people to feed. And I mean, we've, we've seen, you know, back in the, the twenties, hell, I mean, there were no deer, there were no elk, there were no turkeys. Um, Would it would be that way again? And so you have to have like, you have to know how to use those acorns because that's a resource that's going to be there. Um, and you know, there's there's tons and tons of plant resources, mushrooms, all all sorts of things out there that you could live on. Um and get whatever meat you can, you know, Yeah. certainly learn how to hunt, learn how to trap, um, learn how to, learn how to do the, build the primitive traps, 
um, because that's going to be important, but, but you, you, you can't, I don't think you can be prepared much at all. If you don't know how to learn, use the, the plants, uh, that are around you and forage. Sure. That makes sense. I actually hadn't thought of that, even though it, as soon as you were saying it, I'm like, oh yeah, but I hadn't thought of that before. Cause everybody's always like, oh, what's your apocalypse gun? And one of the big things with the, with the gun that somebody chooses is that it's got to be able to hunt, you know, which isn't exactly like, it's not a bad thing to plan for. Oh yeah. Clay's point. But I, I think that I know I operated or under the assumption that it's like, oh yeah, there'd just be like deer. I can just go hunting like I could anytime. Well, and I think, Which you know, may eventually not you think it's easy. Think oftentimes in terms of like our primary game species, right? You know, deer, elk, whatever, grouse, turkeys, things like that. But I mean, through the process of thinking about this a little bit more, I'm like, dude, robins? Oh, yeah. That'll eat. Starlings? Mm. That'll eat. Oh, I do love robins. Yeah. Not, oh. I'm not in terms of like an eating thing. I just I just like when they hop around. It means spring is here. It means spring is here. And <laughs> just... it'd, be a, it'd be really hard for me to just put one out, you know? But it would also be, I don't... It wouldn't be that hard robins if I was starving. They're not the uh, spookiest of birds either. So they'd yeah. probably be some of the first to go. Yeah. And they look pretty plump to me. I've not eaten one. And I've always refrained, even as a youth, uh, from shooting them because you can't. Number one, you know, it's generally <laughs> illegal. But um, I'd be lying if I said the, you know a, a few Tweety birds didn't fall to the old Daisy Eight Eighty. But I still, the robins—they're always so uh, trusting. You know, they just—they're yeah, almost like a pet. Yeah, uh, but all bets are off in a survival situation. True. What do, you, what do you think about that, Clay, as far as, like, you know, switching mindsets and, and food sources and utilizing things that you normally, like, even in a hunting trapping scenario, like, things that you would, you know, generally go after? I mean, I would think that uh, you uh, broaden your approach. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the things like that, the small game, um especially more prolific species, rabbits, squirrels, um, those are going to hold out, you know, that if, if something did go south, that those are going to be the holdouts and the, probably the, the mainstays in the long term because um, the bigger species like elk are just not, I mean, they can't withstand unlimited hunting pressure. Mm-hmm. It's just not gonna, that's not going to work. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and, and, and those species like, you know, possums, possums and coons. Those things are so fat. Oh man. When I, when I was up in uh, BC, I would, I would have paid like $10,000 for a a big old fat coon (laughs) (laughs) or a beaver. Those Um, would be, see, those would have been like pretty good raccoons up there though. I don't, I always feel funny about the idea of, of nibbling on one of them city raccoons. I, you would if you had One to dumpster pandas. You, oh yeah, you would if you had to. Well, I, I'm, the I'm ones not saying I would. They'd I'm be not... all corn fed and fat and fat and sassy. <laughs> uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, coons. They seem like I've never, I haven't eaten a coon or a possum. Uh, well, they're easy to catch. They're not. They're not hard to catch at all. And that's good to know. It is. 
but there again, I mean, that's like, I, I, there's all sorts of, all sorts of information on YouTube. Um, and as you were saying, Jim, like a lot of those things come up and you, you watch this and having a knowledge of what's, what's going on. You watch this video or whatever, like this person has never done this before in real life. And they're teaching like how to do this. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta be careful of what kind of information you're, you're, you're getting on that, but you can learn like even, the, even for the folks that have net you watching, you say, Oh, well, they've never done this. You know, you might be able to pick up some tips on construction or something like that. But like, especially with trapping, um, there's a big difference between learning how to build a trap and like actually trapping an animal. Yeah. Because animals behave like you have to understand how yeah, you, you got to understand animal behavior around traps because you don't just build like deadfall, for instance, you don't just build a deadfall, put a piece of bait under it and like expect the animal to come stand in the exact spot where it needs to stand to get, have this log fall on it. Like you got to understand how to guide the animal into the place that you want it to be and keep it there, you know, as the, the trap springs and all that stuff. And the only way that you can learn that, I think, is to actually go out and do it. Yeah, and observe. Um, yeah, I mean, but like you can get a you can get a trapping license and and go out and build some, you know, if you're if it's legal in your state, um, go out and and build some deadfalls and catch some coons and have cook them in your primitive oven, have them for dinner. Sure enough. Sure enough. <laughs> and if you want to make it really good, like the secret to making anything taste amazing is don't eat anything for about three or four days before you eat that. And then, then it'll be oh. like <laughs> thing you ever had. Go in starving. Yes. Yeah. You'd be so happy. So happy to have it. Like, like, uh, I can remember the first fish I caught on that, on that, uh, my time in, in British Columbia, the eyeballs were freaking amazing. It's like fish eyes. <laughs> They're so good. Then you, then you get back home, you know, kind of in the, in the more of a, I guess, uh, your, your, uh, normal routine. And you're like, dude, I'm going to eat fish eyes all the time. These are the best. And then you're, you're like, like oh, what man, happened? These fish eyes are just not that good. Maybe they are good. I didn't go like three or four days, but, you know, as like a a middle schooler and a high schooler coming back from basketball practice, that got me through many of my mom's meatloafs. Terrible. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) terrible meatloaf. I was pretty hungry. You were pretty hungry. (laughs) I feel like asking about, you know, you asked Clay kind of about some priorities and survival and, and I mean, we're kind of talking about them now, but like one of the things that I think kind of gives a glimpse into what somebody's priorities are and what they're planning on having their priorities be in a survival bug out situation is what they've got in their bug out bag. You know what I mean? And a lot of times when you've done like the skills challenges or you did alone, they allow you a certain allotment of, of things to take, uh, with you, which I think makes sense. Cause if you're like, Hey, you know, stuff at the fan, I'm going to, I'm going to get out of here. You would probably take something with you at least what you could fit in a backpack. Like, so if you, if you were going to take stuff with you and you're like, chances are I may never come back to my house again, you know, and, and you're going to start going on this, uh, this whole journey, if you will, like, what are, what are some of the things that you're taking with you? You know, things that you don't obviously then in that case have to make from scratch. Well, again, I think that depends on where, 
you are in the country. Um, for us in Idaho, like we have clean mountain streams everywhere. So water's not a huge priority for me. Um, my, you guys never seen my truck. I don't think, uh-uh. um, you got, you got a first gen Cummins, don't you? And you did the whole, yeah. uh, veg oil conversion on it. And I remember chatting about that. Yeah. So, um, I have a, like a beast of a truck. It's a night. Well, it's titled as an 80 because the frame and the cab is an 80, but all the body, it's basically a 1980 power wagon, uh, with a 12 valve Cummins in it. And I've got a 70 gallon tank in the back of it that I use for vegetable oil. And so I could fill that tank up with vegetable, fill my diesel tank up. And I'm, I could probably drive for almost 2000 miles, uh, without ever having to, to yeah, get buddy. fuel. <clears throat> so that would be, I'd fill that thing up. I'd throw a bunch of rice and beans in the back from our, and, and just a bunch of food. Um, I'd make sure I have, um, you know, some ways to start fires because I, I can friction fire. I can go into the woods with nothing but a knife and start a fire, but I don't want to, if I don't want to, you know, it's a big lighter works real good. So, you know, things like that, uh, or a ferrocerium rod, uh, those things will last forever. You can start a fire in basically any condition, uh, with a ferro rod. They don't run gas. Uh, all you got to do is have some sort of metal to, to, to shave that thing off. And, um, you know, back of a knife blade or a saw blade or something like that. And you start a fire sleeping bags. Um, you know, I'd probably throw in a tarp, something like that, some sort of tent shelter, um, ax saw. Um, but I think like for, for, you know, if you're thinking long-term, you got to think like, okay, what, 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 what do I have or what do I need to take that isn't going to run out of batteries and isn't going to run out of gas. You know, I have a, I've got a chainsaw I could take with me, but then I got to take a bunch of gas Yeah. and, and, and two cycle oil. Uh, or I can take, you know, a big crosscut saw. A crosscut saw is going to last forever. You know, whereas your chainsaw is going to run out of gas and then it's a boat anchor. Yep. Um, so just taking things like that into consideration. Um, but I mean, if, if something like that ever happened and I thought like, it's like, we're about to get into world war three, I would load the truck up and I would drive as far from civilization as I possibly could get. And I would set up shop there because I don't want, I mean, I would not want people around because people like in that type of situation, people are scary. I mean, I'd rather be surrounded by grizzlies and, you know, stuff like that any day, mountain lion, whatever. Yeah. I, I, I understand those critters, but people that are desperate, you know, there's no, no telling what they're liable to do. Fair point. That's a freaky thought. It really is. is. I've always wondered though, you know, like if you're gonna, I think this is one thing we chatted about in our last conversation, Mark, you know, you're going to hop in your truck, let's say, and try and get out of there. Now, granted, if you're way up already starting in the wilderness, uh, yeah. somewhere, that's not too bad because you're starting out with not as many people around you. And so therefore you may not run into as many road jams and, uh, you know, um, just kind of odd, great, things, odd things on the point. road. Now we're not in civilization, 
but we're also not far from it around here, you know? Oh, just, uh, yeah. I mean, so, like, we'd have to go through some area. We'd have to go on, like, major highways and stuff that I think would probably be pretty packed with people trying to get out, you know, and do a, do a similar thing to probably what you're talking about. Maybe not to the level or certainly probably not to the level of preparedness they would have, but they'd be like, I just got to get out, you know what I mean? And uh, that's that's one of the tough things. If you are kind of more close into civilization, you're going to be hitting... I, I don't imagine you're going to be able to go very far on roads. You it's know, possible. It's, the National Guard might have it shut down. People might have it roadblocked. There may be people just like burning semi trucks in the middle of the road. Who knows what's going to happen? But I feel, and or you might be one of the only people with a good rig, like a big monster four by four or something like that, and everyone's going to be looking at that like it's like it's a T bone steak. And uh, that's kind of one of those things where I'm like, man, if you are kind of more tighter in packed around people it's almost like maybe even going on foot might be better and you may not be able to get as far you may not be able to go 2,000 miles like you could clay but but you'd probably be able to be a little more stealthy i mean it's it it kind of begs the question which i think you know just by your nature clay you have this in place but you know having multiple strategies in place, right? Yeah. It's like, hey, you know, yeah, I've got this vehicle that, you know, runs on veg oil that I can do this, but also if I need to, you know, load up my backpack and dip out with, you know, minimal items to, you know, scratch out a living and get something going, you, yeah, you can do yeah. that too. Maybe if you're in a city, everybody in a city should have a Yamaha TW200. Big fat tire motorcycle. And then that way you can just weave in and out of traffic and then you can quick, oh, look, there's something in the road. I can just go off road and I can I can log jump with this thing and there you go. It's not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> you just sold a lot of motorcycles, Jim. They are, they're, that's a good bike. I don't think they've changed the design since like 1982 or something. Don't fix what ain't broke. Yeah. Don't have as, uh, the, the ability to run on veg oil as far as I'm uh, aware, though, and probably a smaller gas tank than uh, than your truck, but... Yeah, that thing you can you can drive for a long way on that, and that's like, uh, I mean, we're we're just four hours from the Canadian border, and there's like I could take back roads everywhere. That's nice. You know, anywhere I wanted to go, I could take back roads and avoid all interstates. Uh, because, like you said, if if things go south, like you're not you're not driving far on the interstate because it's going to be. I mean, there, there's going to be burning vehicles and traffic jams and you're just not going to get anywhere. Yeah. And so I don't know. I've thought about like if, if we're, I'm sitting in Florida right now and there's a lot of country between here and anywhere that I would want to go. Florida's um, pretty densely populated. Well, mostly on the outside, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's actually some pretty wild country in Florida, but it's all down South, you know, sure. 800 miles from where we're at. And so you know, it might be better to take to the water, you know, jack somebody's sailboat, <laughs> put a bunch of water on there and and head out. Sure enough. Sure enough. It's not a bad idea either. Head on down to Mexico. So you need a motorcycle, a Cummins diesel that runs on veg oil, sailboat. Yeah, but preferably somebody else's boat. Because everybody knows <laughs> it's, better to, a, it's yeah. better to to jack somebody else's boat in a time of need than to have your own boat. God, it's just like it's so bizarre to think about. And like we talked, we were talking when we were chatting the other day, Clay. 
the the number of variables at play or scenarios um yeah they're infinite right I, it, it is infinite uh, but you know you don't you don't ever know how things are going to go you don't know how things how bad things are going to be but the one thing that you can control now is trying to develop those skills that you would need mm-hmm. and so that's that's a, that's an actionable thing that you can do right now um and you can make like I was talking about earlier with the kids. I mean, you could make, if you ha- if you have a family, you could make it a fun thing. I mean, go take them out in the woods and and do some of this stuff. Versus, I don't know. I don't know what people do. That's what I do. But <laughs> what do you do? Sit on the couch and watch TV. Sometimes you should feel terrible by yourself, Mark. <laughs> go eat some acorns. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do like your point about uh, what you're loading up in your in your rig, though, not running on gas or batteries. I think that's something people rely a lot on. I, th- I think there's a lot of people, a lot of things people use every day. They don't even realize it runs on batteries or electricity of some sort. Oh, 100%. But I don't think, yeah, because batteries are, depending on, all, on how long it goes, there's a certain point where batteries just have a shelf life, too, and you won't even have used them and they'll have gone bad. Right. You know what I mean? And, you know, or or all that stuff that crap that you bring along then you run out of batteries and then it's just it's just wasting space and wasting your time and then you grew reliant upon it and then it's gone and then you freak out and you got to keep your you got to keep your psyche all all good you know so if you're relying on something and you start to get normalized to that and then it goes away and then all you know all of a sudden now you're probably a little hungry a little thirsty a little stinky all that stuff a little uncomfortable then things that you're relying on go away. Now you're going to have to have a, a big, like, uh, I don't know, you're going to have to get acclimated once again to your new situation. That's, uh, how do you, um, well, I, I, like a how do you, how to uh, answer maybe isn't even like that sensical for this question, but you did alone in British Columbia. You were there for a long time. <sighs> And even in that case, if you really think about it, like you had, you were on a TV show and they don't want the people on the TV show to die. So you kind of had like an, an in case of emergency break glass situation, which obviously all the people that you competed against eventually did succumb to. So you even had a, a backup, so to speak. But like keeping yourself mentally sane is, that's, that's almost even the toughest thing of all. Like even just figuring out skills, but actually keeping yourself and just losing it. Well, I think that, you know, if you had your family with you or, or a, you know, close friends or something like that, that's definitely, that'd be a, a help there. But yeah, yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're being alone, um, it's definitely tougher. Yeah. You think if your family was there during that show, you'd have been like, yeah, dude, I'll just stay here. Whatever. <laughs> It would have been a lot easier. I mean, given if I had see the, 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 that's, that shows as real as it's like more real than any television show out there, you know, but as far as like a comparing that to a real life survival situation, it's, it's similar, but not the same because we had regulations, wildlife regulations that we had to adhere to. And so, um, 
you know, if I, if I had been out there and it had been like, there'd been no regs and yeah, I mean, I could have had the family there and we could have ate good. Cause I'd have killed a grizzly bear like in a week. And then we would have ate that. Um, and then things would have been easy or not easy, but it's, it's always a, like something like that, like scratching out a living from the, from the land is hard work mm-hmm. and it's constant work. Um, but it would have been much easier emotionally, mentally, and physically, I think, even having to feed four people versus one, because Liz, my wife is a, she's a hard worker. She, she would have been out foraging, you know, the boys could have been fishing. I could have been out hunting, building shelters, whatever. And that's the way people have always lived. I mean, for tens of thousands of years, we're, we're not, we're not made to live alone. We're made to live in small communities like that, small little, you know, groups of eight to maybe 15 people. And, and it's a, it's a coordination um, and team effort type thing, mm-hmm. the division of labor type thing. And so, you know, if you've got, if you've got your family there, um, you know, as long as they have some knowledge of what's going on and how to, how to do things, that's definitely going to make it a lot easier. Well, and you're, like you said, you've got, you're kind of in some ways able, at least the way I'm thinking about to, to hedge your bets a little bit. Like you could be out hunting cause you know, you're, you're a great hunter, right? But you're not necessarily worried about keeping the fire going because, you know, another person is doing that. Liz is out foraging. So, you know, if you don't come back with this just amazing windfall of meat, well, you've got mushrooms and berries and other things that somebody else was able to get to get everybody through the next couple of days. And then you go hunt again, potentially yep. come home with a deer or something else. Um, I mean, that's that's the thing on that alone. I'm just like, I mean, you are responsible for everything. And yeah, your backup plan is you and what you did. And that's it. So I, I do think having you know, a key core of people, likely your family around you, people who you can trust. Yeah. Um, very critical and a huge asset. Yeah. You got to get them up to speed a little bit on what's going on too, you know? Yeah. 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 So to Clay's point, make it a family thing. As long as they're not too high maintenance. (laughs) This is about as low maintenance as, as a, as a woman can get, I think. That's just good advice, not even if it's the apocalypse, you know, like just yeah, yeah. not even in terms of prepping for a giant societal collapse. That's just good advice for find find someone in your life who's not mega high maintenance. Yeah. I think uh you would well you know, depending on your level of preparedness like we're talking about, but like you eventually I would think you automatically become you're reduced to low maintenance. You know, you, you're not going to worry worry if you got your nails done. At least I, I would assume you wouldn't be worried about that. Like you'd have bigger fish to fry. Hopefully, you'd be working on getting a fish to fry. Um, <laughs> Good one, Mark. But uh, but yeah, maybe that'd be hard. You know, definitely a lot harder for somebody who's never, you know, whatever, even done. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people that haven't done campground camping you know and i say it all the time as far as you know backpack hunting um super interested in it i think it's super cool i like the gear uh i don't get to do it as much as i would like you know and so like that's a skill that i'm like you know actively working on developing uh it's awesome but it's still hard and i've done it before Mm -hmm. you know 
And I guess it goes back to even circling back to what we're talking about, just education, educating yourself, educating the people around you and doing these things, right? And that's the one thing you don't, you don't, you just don't build the skills or even the mental toughness or how far you can push your body until you do it. And it's hard. Mm-hmm. I'm looking over in the corner, speaking of building skills, and I'm, I'm looking at my self boat that I built when we went down to Florida. And I got to wonder because, you know, obviously we talk about, we talk about uh, guns and other various hunting weapons of sorts. Clay, I can't imagine. I just feel like, are you even going to take a gun with you? Will you? Or are you just going to go, hey, man, I'm, I'm full on. I got my bow. That's all I need. No, I mean, yeah, I would, uh, I'd definitely take, I've got a, so I've never owned a rifle other than a 22 uh, until, uh, it's probably five years ago, I bought a 7mm08 for, for Liz. And so we've got that. And I got bought a bunch of, I don't know, got probably 10 boxes of shells. Um, so we, yeah, we, we definitely take that. Um, bow hunting's hard. It, it is. <laughs> Rifle's definitely the way to go if you need something to eat. A little bit, uh, a little bit more of not a complete ace in the hole, but I feel like when you are so accustomed to running around with your self ball all the time, it may just be nice if you're starving to be like, yeah, I wouldn't mind taking this thing at a hundred yards instead of twenty. Absolutely. And the, um, you know, I I've got an old flintlock. I'd take that thing. I mean, I'd throw that in because I've got. I probably got 10 pounds of black powder and a bunch of lead. And if you have the knowledge, you can actually, you can make black powder. Yeah. I mean, they've just the way they've always done it. Somebody's got to make it somehow. I, yeah, I guess I've never really thought about that. I mean, that's definitely, it's things like that where I'm like, well, I better get enough of that stuff before it goes down. Yeah. Um, That's an interesting thought. Well, now I have another skill I need to develop. Go uh, make black powder. Go patriot style and just have a little crimper that you mount the little lead soldiers into. And yeah, use I that mean, for your bullets. I've got uh, that uh, that Cabela Sporterized Hawken. That's a black powder gun, but I think it runs on uh, like a percussion cap. Like it runs on a percussion cap. So that would be. That's, a, that's an item you gotta have. That'd yeah, be nice. Mine's uh mine's a flintlock. So I'm gonna leave you in the dust. I don't have to have a cap. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't need anything. Now I need a flintlock. True. Everybody should have a good a good old flintlock laying around. That's that's also good advice. Do you even have, when you buy a flintlock, no, you don't have to send that through an FFL, you just send that to your house, right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Muzzle loader. Some of that muzzleloader, I think it used. I think there's some been some change. It depends on the type of muzzleloader. Not every muzzleloader you can get just sent to your house anymore. Really? It's unfortunate. Well, yes. maybe those ones that are actually using like rifle actions because the action is a serialized part, like those long range thousand yard muzzleloaders. I mean, I think like definitely, monkeys is built on a. Yeah, I think definitely those. But I was chatting with Blair the other day. He made it sound confusing, and I was like, oh. Well, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He does have to relay a lot of information that the ATF sends out. So yes, I, yes. You know, which is it's not necessarily always Larry's fault. It's it's the ATF's fault. Anyway, um, yeah, fishing, 
a lot of fish. I think about, you know, again, that's equipment, though. But, you know, I mean, you were able to, I mean, like, we keep going back to alone, but it's such a good example of oh, yeah. surviving with it's minimal perfect. equipment. Um, you know, you didn't have a, you know, a whole lot there. I mean, you made a fishing rod. But you had fishing line with you, right? Isn't that one of the things you took? Yeah, and that's like you'd ask me what what I would put in the truck or what I would take with me earlier. And I, you know, I don't I'm not good at like coming up with things right off the bat, but I could come up with a pretty comprehensive list if I had, you know, half an hour to think about it. But um, fishing hooks, fishing line uh, would be another thing. Uh, a gill net. Gill net would be fantastic to have or you can make one, you know, but um a monofilament gill nets typically going to work better than a something you could make with the inner cores of paracord. But that's what I ended up doing. I, I took the cores out of my paracord and made a, made a gill net while I was out there because then I didn't that like I could have taken a gill net, but then that would have been another item. Sure. Um, or one of my items. And you only had 10. You only got to choose 10. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, uh, having the knowledge to know how to that uh is invaluable so For many sure. things Dude, i don't know anything about fishing i'm really bad at fishing you'd figure it out hopefully you don't have to you don't have to know much about fishing if you have a gill net just <laughs> figure out where the fish are and throw it out <laughs> right, there's that I, I shouldn't say that somebody's gonna somebody's gonna beat me up about that because yeah there's there's definitely some technique on where to set it and how to set it but yeah um, they're definitely low maintenance um passive type of things. And that's another thing to think about. It's like, you know, you can go out and actively hunt and you have to be present. And that's the only thing that you're doing. That's the only thing that you're accomplishing when you're at hunting. You could come back and spend absolutely nothing to show for it. Um, and so um, having passive ways of gathering food is very important in a survival situation. That's where your trapping comes in. That's where your your passive fishing techniques, either your fish traps or your um, or your gill nets comes in. Yeah, and so just more things to add to your skill set. Yeah, absolutely. You put those you put those things out, and they're working twenty four hours a day while you're doing while you're accomplishing other things. It, it yeah, especially if you're putting all the effort into hunting, and, and depending on your terrain. Now, I'm not saying that hunting anywhere is necessarily easy, but in certain places it can be a little bit more arduous and grueling. But yeah, if you go out and you put in all that effort, and then you come back with nothing. That's that's going back to the psychological thing. Now you're hungry and you're demoralized because you're like, well, I just wasted all that time. Yeah. Well, for and sure. no one's no one in that point is thinking, well, hey, at least I got a good workout in. It's. I don't think that's exactly. <laughs> Burn some calories. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's not one of those situations. Um. No. I mean, it's, that's, it's about that's, the. It's about the fun times we had, right, Mark? Yeah. It's about it's, the experience. It's about the story. Um. Not in this case. Uh, I mean, that's a. I think that's a huge point, though. Like, yeah, having those passive ways to get food. I mean, depending on the circumstance. I mean, like if you had a gill net or were able to make one. Let's say you're on a salmon stream and the salmon are running. Uh, you're going to be sitting pretty for a little bit, you know, then you can work on, you know, making your shelter better. Um, or, you know, making, uh, figuring out, it's like, yeah, I got all these salmon that are, you know, clogging up my net, hopefully, right. Fingers crossed, uh, building a smoker to preserve that, you know, um, how do you preserve what you, 
how do you preserve it? That's a, that's a huge thing without refrigeration. You know, are you set up to, to can that stuff? Um, can you run a canner without propane? Um, and like for fish, you know, you're probably going to be better off smoking it. Uh, and you could do the same thing with, mm -hmm. with game meat, you know, just smoke it. Um, you know, I had, uh, I killed that deer up there and I smoked all of that meat and I had one of the shanks, the, one of the rear shanks that I was keeping for like a special treat for my Thanksgiving dinner. <clears throat> so I killed that deer, like, I don't know, October, something like that. <clears throat> and I, I kept that shank hole just hanging in a tree or in my shelter all the way, you know, for over a month, um, with no refrigeration at all. And it was well above freezing mm -hmm. most of the time that I was there. And so just, you know, having the knowledge to do that, uh, could mean the difference between, you know, having food and not having food. You know, you think about what's the story um, the kid that went up to Alaska and ended up dying in the bus. Uh, oh, you know what I'm talking about into the wild. Yeah, yeah. So I read that book. I don't. I think I don't know if it shows it in the movie or not. But he had actually killed a caribou or a moose or something, and had enough meat for a very long time. But he didn't know how to preserve it. Hmm. Um, what I gathered from what I can remember, he, he had, he had talked to some, somebody there before he went out and they said, Oh yeah, you got to smoke it. Well, he had never done that before. And so I think what he did was he like took big hunks of meat and tried to smoke these meat, this big hunk of meat, but of course it, it all rotted. Oh. You know, you have to, you have to have done that before and know that, you know, I, I can't just. I can't smoke this uh, this basketball size hunk of meat and expect it to like sit on the shelf without being frozen. I have to slice this stuff in thin slices so I can dry it below a certain moisture content. Then it'll preserve. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta know that stuff before you need it. I mean, and this is like things, you know, like, um, haven't done it in a, in a very long time and like would actually need to relearn what I know, but, you know, I grew up in the West Coast, so we, you know, smoke fish a lot, but, like, in, like, a smoker, you know, electric smoke, like, you know what I mean? Like, so you have these things, but I don't even know this, Clay, and maybe the answer is both, but are you essentially just dehydrating it, or is the smoke curing it as well? It's a little bit of both. You're, you're bringing the moisture content way down, uh, which tends to inhibit bacterial growth, but then you're also putting a, uh, like a coating of tannin. Uh, is it, I don't know what, I remember what the compounds are in the smoke, but th that also inhibits bacterial growth. Right. Okay. So it's like a double, you know, if you, double just, if you just cooked it, people cook stuff all the time, but the cooked stuff goes bad pretty quick, even yeah. after it's cooked. So yeah, there has to be something else and it's gotta yeah. be in this. Yeah. Man, you gotta be able to get the food, then preserve the food, know what you can eat, mm -hmm. and then how. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about food. It's funny, and Clay mentioned that he can go a month without food, but he needs water. 
I don't know how much we've talked about water. We should probably talk a little bit about water because that <laughs> is important. I mean, well, that's yeah. what everybody gravitates to. I mean, everybody gravitates to the to the to eating because they they you know if they know that if they don't eat for you know a couple hours that they, they get uncomfortable and they get hungry. But if they 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 don't think about water, you know, they think that water is so available. You know, clean water now, like most people don't know what it's like to go without water. I mean, I don't know what it's like to go without water for an extended period. I mean, yeah. that'd be, that'd be miserable to go three days without water. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you'd be on the verge of death. Totally. Yeah. You'd be in trouble. And it's funny. It's when I look at, you know, I do a lot of map scouting gym, you know, for like, you know, looking at different hunt areas and like, oh, I should plan this trip. And there's a, you know, you could get back into this spot. But my number one thing, because I know initially my food needs are going to be met because I'm, you know, we have the luxury of bringing food with us and packing for that. But my number one thing is water. And like, I get, like, I get worried about it. It's like, okay, yeah, well, is there, is there a high lake or is there uh, some sort of uh, seep or that, that you can rely on, right? You know, a lot of that stuff comes and goes, um, yeah, so many you know, of the dotted blue lines you see on Onyx, you show up and you're like, well, maybe at one point. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, major rivers, that's great. But when you leave the major river, you know, are there drainages that consistently have water? Um, and a lot of times you don't, you don't, you don't know that until you get there. And that's probably, that is probably the number one thing that I am looking for. And the number one thing that I'm worried about, is it going to be there when I get there? And is it going to be, is it going to be drinkable? Um, you know, I, I, I talked when we first got started, I, I said, you know, we're a place up in Idaho. Um, we have mountain streams and lakes all around. And I, I mean, people give me hell about it, but I drink straight out of those things. And I've, uh, I've, I've had Giardia twice and both time, one time was I was drinking out of a stream in Florida which I, when I was a kid, I used to do that all the time. Like I drank out of the creeks here all the time, but there was a very small fraction of the people. Like now I'd never drink out of the creek here now because there's freaking people, houses, septic tanks everywhere. Sure. Um, so that happened when I was, you know, in high school after a lot of that development had started. So, you know, probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> um, and then the other time, was in Idaho and I actually had those, I don't remember the brand name of this thing, but it was one of those little filter straws, one of those little emergency filter straw things. And I had this in my pack and I, that's the only method of filtration I had. And I was walking up this road and it was like, there was a ditch on the side of this gravel road and it was all like slimy and stuff. I was like, Oh, well I got a filter. You know, I, I, that thing gave me a false sense of confidence. I drank out of that stream or drank, drank out of that ditch with that filter and I got sick. And, um, Giardia is, uh, it's pretty rough. Um, but, uh, all of the times, like I drink out of the mountain streams and the lakes here all the time. And I've never gotten sick when I've used my judgment to say, okay, this is good to drink. And I just drink it, you know, without any filter at all. Um, you know, and, and um, I don't know what, what did I, how, I don't even remember how I got on this. Um, talking about finding drinkable water. Yeah. That's right. So, so up there, it's not a problem for me. I, I mean, I, I know how to assess the water. I feel comfortable with it. 
maybe I've maybe my immunity is um, better than some other people's because I've been doing it forever. Gotta be. Uh, who knows? But you know, if you're starting off down here in the south or somewhere where there's a lot of people and a lot of inputs into the water, you're not going to be able to do that. Um, and so you got to have other ways to to make that water drinkable. You got to filter, you got to boil it, or whatever. Um, but one thing I've never tried this, never been brave enough to try it, but I heard a story. This was, I don't remember where I heard this from. It was years and years ago about a family that had gotten stranded back in some freshwater swamp, had no way to boil water, no way to filter water. And they were using they basically gave themselves an enema of fresh water. And because your colon is a water, it's that's where you suck up a lot of your water from. So if you can get water up there, it doesn't matter how dirty it is, your body will take it up. Now, I don't know that. I'm not a medical person. I don't know. I've never tried that. Maybe somebody that's in the medical field can can chime in and uh, on the, in the comments and, and see if that's a valid thing or not. But I had heard that and I thought it was an interesting last ditch, you know, if you have to type of thing. So, well, Jim, take it for so what you will. It's, it sounds like we uh, you got guys a, need to check that out. We got an episode of <laughs> Vortex Nation podcast Mythbusters on our hands. <laughs> got to find these people. Uh, <laughs> You're not volunteering? No, no. If it was going to be one of us, I, I'd, I'd volunteer you. <laughs> <laughs> you um you volunteer me for tribute? Yes, yes, I do. Um, I haven't drinking in weeks, <laughs> or have I? Uh, <laughs> that's. I'll say. I do think the it's funny. The, the, I, it's like the theory. It does make. It's a. It's a. I feel like it's a valid hypothesis. I just like how Clay very calmly is like, I haven't tried this yet, but, and I'm thinking it was going to be like some interesting method of filtering water using like their t-shirts or something, I don't know, or like leaves and tree bark, but then he went that direction, and I so now I know why you haven't tried it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I haven't tried it, but is the literal, mm, that's the, uh, yeah. Now I did, I had a video that came out this past last summer uh where i dug a like a gypsy well uh or a coyote well filter you're basically using the earth to filter water hmm. oh okay um, and so that's a that's something you could employ even in you know the northeast or the south or you know the east coast anywhere there's a lot of people uh you you find an area with seep or a stream where you're not um, where you're kind of um, worried about the quality of the water, worried about picking up something from there. You come off of the stream a few, you know, four or five feet and basically dig a hole below waterline. And what I did was, this was springtime, so the bark was slipping on the tree. You could just peel the bark off the trees with your hands. So I went and got some bark off of the red cedar trees and I lined this hole. I dug a hole about two and a half feet deep, lined the hole with, uh, with cedar bark and you could use whatever, anything. Um, 
and then just let that water slowly fill it, filter in through the soil and fill that hole up. And I've done, um, you know, I looked into the filtering uh, efficiency of different soil substrates. And you don't have, like, you could dig a hole within feet of a septic tank and filter it, like get good clean water out of it. You don't want to build, uh, of course, dig it in the, you know, drain field, but you could come off of a septic tank or anywhere like that and, and actually do a good job of filtering water. Let the, let the, let the earth filter it. Way to go, earth. Very interesting. I don't know if I'm doing the septic tank one, though. Yeah, I mean, I was just using that as a, I wouldn't do it either, but I was using it as an example. <laughs> yeah, I've grown up with a septic I don't think tank that my was, whole life. I don't think I, that was step one. What you got it first, first, find yourself find a, septic. a septic tank. Man, this is got, we've chatted about a lot of different things here, right? and, and this is just. My biggest thing, or one of my biggest takeaways is I have a lot to learn. Yeah. I'm not prepared. I don't have these skills. I haven't tried this stuff. Yeah, because we soft. We've contrasted the the burrow in bug out thing, and burrowing in it, it it is mostly it's a lot of buying stuff. Well, and it's peace of mind because you're like, oh, I have these things. I've got I have all this, this stuff. I've got this mountain of things. But yeah, I mean, and we even said this in last podcast. If somebody wants you, got you're got. You know what I mean? It's a Okay, great. You can fight off a couple people. Can you fight off, you know, a few armored vehicles? Can you fight off a tank? Can you fight off a fifth generation fighter coming in, stealth bomber? Like, there's there's a certain I point mean, the, where the, the twenty people who don't have anything, but yeah, they've banded together and they yeah. want your, you know, there's a certain point where you're just you're got, you know what I mean? So no matter how much of a mountain of stuff you're sitting on, it's that's that like so, in, the, in the same breath I, I, I wouldn't say don't acquire those things because you might need them or you might be able to take some of those things with you or yeah um <clears throat> you know it's, everything is so situationally dependent so i think it's you just kind of have to plan for both if you're truly you know prepping for yeah some unknown event and you have to develop all the skills that yes <laughs> but yes, you can do get it now many of them well, you can't get, like we said, you have to earn them. But you can get a window into a lot of these skills from his YouTube channel. Yes. What is, uh, what's the name of your YouTube channel, Clay? Uh, I don't know. If you got on there and look for Clay Hayes, you'd find it. That's <laughs> Spoken, Clay Spoken exactly like I would expect Clay Hayes to, <laughs> to pimp his YouTube <laughs> channel. What's the name of your YouTube channel? I don't know. Search it. <laughs> while Mas- Google, a hey, master while, at self-promotion. While Google still works, search it. Yes, exactly. There's there's a tip. And, uh, yeah, do these things now. Start thinking about these things now because, like Clay said, the time to be learning these skills or thinking about these things is not when you actually need them. Yeah. Yeah, the... Uh and look at look at that look at the canning video that Liz has on hers. Just look at uh, just Google or on YouTube and search Liz Hayes canning or something like that. And it would probably, probably be the first thing that pops up. But once you guys start canning deer meat, oh man, it's it's awesome. Never gonna go back. 
I'm getting and it's an insurance policy. And you know, if you do have a freezer that that goes out, yeah, you got a lot of got a lot got all that meat. Well, it's already cooked too. So the the folks that I know that you know are just using it. You know, they're not like just saving it forever. Like, oh, in case something happens, you know, I mean, they're using it throughout oh, the yeah. year. I mean, they love it. They're like, oh, it's easy, man. It's already cooked. You just plug it into the recipe and off you go. And it's got the you know the broth in there, I guess, or. Mm-hmm. Um, we take it camping all the time. Like one of my favorite things to make when we're camping is uh, like street tacos. Yeah. You know, you just take some little corn tortillas and some peppers and onions and dump out some of that meat. And I mean, you got shredded beef tacos right there. It's freaking good. And it's uh, super quick, easy to make. Yeah. It's already done. There you have it. I like it. Check that video out on Liz Hayes' channel. Clay's videos out on yep. his channel. And then the hard part. Get into prepping yourself. Is the doing. The doing of the things. Do the learning and then do the doing. Yeah. So, all right, everybody. Well, Clay, thank you so much for joining us and, and giving us, uh, you know, your insight into, uh, you know, I guess uh, self-improvement, really, in some ways, you know, develop, developing your skill set and becoming a more... Uh, I guess, you know, ind- you know, independent type person in a way. What's what's the word I'm looking for, Jim? I was not finding that. I thought I'd find it as I was thinking about it. Self-reliant. There's a word. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's what I was looking that's for. It's a hyphenated word. Two words. Um sort of. but yeah. And uh definitely curious to other people's thoughts out there, you know, what they've been thinking about, what they've been doing, what they find that work. Uh and uh yeah, like I said, say Clay, uh thanks for all the good info and the one thing, like I said, that I've learned a lot today was that I have a lot to learn. Perfect. All right. Let's go make some deadfalls, Jim. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. We'll catch you on the next one. There you have it, folks. Thank you very much for listening. As usual, give this video a like if you liked it. Comment something below and give us a subscribe to the Vortex Nation podcast channel. It would mean a lot to us. Also, why don't you give us a follow over on Instagram while you're at it, at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'd love to hear from you over there, and we'll keep you updated with all kinds of cool photos and videos from our adventures that we do here. Otherwise, we will see you on the next one. Thank you again. Happy hunting and shooting, everybody. Have a good one.